Well, good morning to you again. I invite you to turn our attention to God's word. Today, we'll be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 13. You can find that passage on page 995 in the Bibles provided. Friend, if you're new to the Bible, well, this is a great place to be. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, you might not know the, the chapter numbers are the numbers in big, bold print on that page. And the verse numbers are the small like, superscript numbers that you see on that page. Friend, if I'm doing this preaching thing right, then the main point of this passage we're about to read will be the main point of the sermon. So 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13. God's word reads this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. The heavyweight champion boxer and great philosopher Mike Tyson said that. I'm not sure if Timothy, the original recipient of this letter, literally got punched in the face, but I am sure Timothy was beginning to feel the heat for following Jesus, the crucified and risen king. If you read what surrounds the passage we read, you'll find lots of indications of suffering and opposition. Let me give you just an appetizer sampler of that. So if you have your Bible open to 2 Timothy, take a look at chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Or you could flip over to chapter three, verse one. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Chapter three, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Boy, this doesn't seem like a cheery note to talk about on Easter, does it? Well, it might not be cheery, friend, but it's real. The section we read is part of the purpose of this entire letter. The Apostle Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, and he gives Timothy a forewarning. It's like he tells him, Tim, it's going to feel like you're getting punched in the face for following Jesus. And when that happens, Timothy, don't back away. I think Paul knows what Jesus himself taught. Jesus taught that there will be people who start following him, but as soon as life gets hard, they'll back away. So 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 13 is part of Paul's case that Jesus is worth following even through the hard stuff. My friend, I want to make a case to you today that Jesus is worth more than just your occasional attention. That Jesus is worth more than your polite but reserved respect. That Jesus is worth more than casual allegiance. 
that Jesus is worth more than cultural cliches. I want to make a case to you today that Jesus is worth everything you have. My friend, nothing else that you could give your life to is as strong and as sturdy and as precious and as valuable and as enduring as Jesus Christ is. Well, these are really big claims. So the question we naturally ask is why? Why is Jesus worth everything? Why is he worth following even through the hard stuff? Well, Paul gives at least three reasons in the passage we read. The first reason is he's worth it because of who he is and what he's done. Secondly, he's worth it because of what he's still doing. And finally, he's worth it because of what he will do. First, Jesus is worth everything, even worth following through the hard stuff because of who he is and what he has done. Take a look again at verse eight. Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. The first three words of that verse are surprising and yet they're vital. Remember Jesus Christ. Really? Does Paul know who he's writing to? Paul writes to a pastor, a guy who has given his life to teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ. So this is like a, telling a carpenter to remember wood. This is like telling a plumber to remember pipes. This is like telling a truck driver, remember your truck. It's like telling an author to remember his pen. Why on earth would Paul have to tell Timothy, a pastor, to remember Jesus Christ? Well, I think for a couple of reasons. I think for one, all Christians, even pastors, can prepare without partaking. Just let that, ver- that, that phrase sit with you for a second. We can prepare without partaking. Think of it like a meal. There's a reason why people say nobody trusts a skinny cook. Because you, you serve it, but you've stopped savoring it for yourself. Right? You get so caught up with activity about Jesus that you have forgotten Jesus himself. Let's say you attend church. It's just what you do. Maybe you have a private devotional life even. Maybe you read your Bible regularly. Maybe you say your prayers. Maybe you can even talk about the Bible and you even talk about Jesus. My friend, you can be filled with activity about Jesus and yet at the same time be empty of Jesus himself. Christian, when's the last time you opened the Bible not to just check it off a list? Just because you wanted to open and read it? and listen to what God has to say. When's the last time you prayed? Not because you had to, or not because you wanted something, but just because you wanted to give praise and enjoy God. When's the last time you did that? Are you preparing without actually partaking? Listen to what Jesus himself tells the Ephesian church, which is the church that Timothy pastored. Listen to what he told them in Revelation 2 verse 4. He says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. My friend, don't just remember activity about Jesus. Remember Jesus himself. 
Remember his heart. Remember his compassion. Remember his unique and glorious person. Remember that he is the one mediator between God and man. Remember his eternality. Remember his commonality with us. Remember Jesus Christ. Why would Paul have to tell Timothy this? A pastor of all people. Why would he have to tell them, remember Jesus Christ? Well, I think there's another reason. I think he has to tell them this because of suffering. Again, think of what Timothy's going through. Think back to the Mike Tyson quote, right? I remember what happens when someone in the Looney Tunes or like any cartoon gets punched? Well, their eyes spin. You see little birds fly around their head. They're disoriented. Maybe they even have temporary memory loss. Hip-hop artist and pastor Shai Lin says this, suffering has a way of intensifying our natural tendency to forget God. I'll repeat that. Suffering has a way of intensifying our natural tendency to forget God. So you know this, I don't have to tell you this, that life out there regularly beats you up. Life out there regularly lulls you to sleep. And so what that means for you is, friend, you won't be able to endure to follow Jesus if you aren't regularly reminded of Jesus. You'll forget him. So if you claim to be a Christian, but you haven't been in church for a while, first of all, welcome back. It's great to have you. (laughs) But let me ask you, friend, I wonder, how has this worked for you? How has it worked? How how have you done remembering Jesus in your daily life without being reminded of him? Can you truly honestly say that that you remember him? Don't you see how how kind God is to give us like a built-in weekly reminder? Don't you see why God tells us not to forsake this? Because he knows you and I will forget. We have short-term memory loss. So, so much of what we do here every single Sunday is simply to remember Jesus and what he has done because we are forgetful people. So what is it about Jesus that Paul wants Timothy to remember? Well, there's so much to choose from. The apostle Paul wrote that if he recorded everything that Jesus said and did, that not even the world's libraries could contain it. So out of the ocean of of the possibilities, Paul grabs two of them. He tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Why bring up these qualities about Jesus? Well, again, I think it's important to remember Timothy's situation. Timothy faces body blows, uppercuts, jabs, and hooks. So Paul tells him to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So the the logical thing is, if Jesus rose from the dead, what did he have to do first? He had to die first. Jesus didn't just endure body blows. Jesus endured the death blow. Jesus himself said that a a disciple isn't above his master. So it's like here, Paul reminds Timothy that following Jesus includes the path of suffering like Jesus. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then that means even the worst possible outcome can't take followers of him away from him. So we can rephrase it. Maybe Paul tells Timothy, hey, let's play this out, Timothy, hypothetically. Let's just say the worst comes and proclaiming Jesus costs you your life. Well, Timothy, if death didn't defeat Jesus, neither will it defeat those who belong to Jesus. I might risk opening a can of worms here. 
Have you seen the, the commercials, uh, He Gets Us? Have you, have you seen those commercials? It's like this big ad campaign. Uh, so if you haven't seen those, uh, the, the goal of these commercials, it seems to be that, that Jesus truly became human. That Jesus can relate to yours and mine experience. That Jesus, as the book of Hebrews says, is the high priest who can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, who is tempted as we are and yet without sin. So these commercials uh, say true things like Jesus knows what it's like to be misunderstood. Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like to have his family hate him. He gets us. That's true. This might be a good starting point. I just don't think it can be the ending point. Because as comforting as this is, if Jesus only gets you, if that's all that he does, well, then Jesus is essentially a glorified therapist. The good news is that Jesus gets you and he died for you. The good news is that Jesus gets you and he lives for you. He rose from the dead. We sing this all the time. As he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Suffering Christian, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. Now, I might be able to make sense of risen from the dead, but the original seems a lot better than the sequel here. The offspring of David, that seems a little like a letdown to me. What gives with this? Well, just to explain the technicality of it, God promised a descendant of King David would reign as king forever. God repeats that promise throughout the Bible, including in a place like Isaiah chapter 9. It might be a passage you recognize. It's usually read around Christmas, not Easter. It goes like this, for to us the child is born, to us the son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold Hold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So why should Timothy remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David? Think of where to distill it simply. To remember this is to remind himself that God keeps his promises. So take these two qualities together. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Both of these are powerful reminders of what you and I doubt when we go through hard times. Maybe this to you this morning. You see plenty of evil in the world and you might even see plenty of evil in your own world. That you have been hurt, that you've been wronged, that you've realized your limits. You've realized that there are things you can't control that you thought you could control. You've realized that you've even been at a loss of how to escape your own bitterness and how to escape your own sin. And with all that happening to you and in you, you can start to ask something like this. Does God have a handle on all of this? Is this too big for God to handle? No. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. With all the body blows, with all the uppercuts that you endure, you could start to ask questions like these. Is God good? Does God care? Can I trust him? Yes. Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. 
God keeps his promises. Jesus is worth everything. He's worth following even through the hard stuff. Reason number two, he's worth it because of what he's still doing. So let's go from verse eight through verse 10. Okay, follow along with me. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul shares with Timothy the thing that keeps him going. Paul shares with Timothy the one reality that keeps him going in his suffering. Essentially, he says, the risen Christ is still on the move. The risen Christ is still active in the world. Here is Paul, the guy who used to arrest people for saying that Jesus rose from the dead. And now he gets arrested for saying Jesus rose from the dead. Here he is in prison behind bars and what keeps him going? He says, I might be bound, but the word of God isn't. He says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Well, we could put this in our own words. Paul can endure because he knows that without a doubt, the risen Christ is still rescuing people. He knows without a doubt that Jesus still saves. Can't help but think of an example of this. And Timothy must have been a witness of this firsthand in Paul's life. That Jesus not only uh, can make himself known, Jesus uniquely, he shows off his power. He takes evil, he takes suffering, he bends it for his own good. Jesus can even use suffering for the gospel to save people through the gospel. Jesus can use Paul's suffering to reach other people. I wanna show you that, and I bet Timothy witnessed that himself. You see, Paul would send Timothy all over the world. He would send Timothy to all these different churches. One of the churches that Paul sent Timothy to was in a city called Philippi. Maybe you've heard of it. It's for the book of Philippians. The first time Paul went to this city is described in Acts chapter 16. It was a heck of a day. When Paul went, Paul went to Philippi, he ends up getting beaten. He ends up getting arrested and he ends up meeting the prison guard. And I wonder... If later on, when Paul sends Timothy back to this city of Philippi, that that prison guard got to talk to Timothy. And that prison guard got to tell Timothy how Jesus rescued him even through Paul's suffering. Maybe the conversation went like this. The prison guard sits Timothy down. He says, Timothy, let me tell you what I used to do for a living. I used to be a guard at a prison. It was steady work. It provided well for me and my wife and my family. But man, it was really stressful work. I mean, there were high standards. If I slipped up even once, Timothy, I was as good as dead. And so one day I'm going to work and I pass by the marketplace. After I get my breakfast, I see there's this huge commotion there. It's a riot of some kind. And so I still go on to work. But later that day, I have to process these two guys. They, everybody who brought them to me, they told me these were the ringleaders of this riot. They were guys named Paul and Silas. And all I heard them talking about, they were just talking about this guy named Jesus, who they said lived a sinless life, who died on the cross for, our, for us, and who rose again from the dead. 
And the people who brought Paul and Silas to me, they just told me, you need to shut these guys up. You need to put them in, their, in the cell and throw away the key. You need to make sure that they may, you maintain their pain. And Timothy, keep in mind, when I met Paul and Silas, they were covered in blood and bruises from this mob. But I did as I was told. I put them in their cell. And a few hours later, it's getting late. I'm trying to sleep, but I can't sleep. But because these guys who are in agony, they just keep singing to Jesus. And then it's about midnight. And I kid you not, Timothy, there's an earthquake and their cell is busted open. And I see them about to walk out and escape. And I have my own sword and I'm about to take my own life, Timothy, because I know that if my boss catches me, he will literally torture me and my family for this. And yet they notice what I'm about to do and they turn around and they stop me. The guy who tortured them, they stopped me from killing myself. And I, and I recognized in that moment that these guys had a hope that I didn't have. These guys had a peace and agony that I don't have. And so all I know to ask them was I asked them simply, Paul and Silas, what do I have to do to be saved? They just told me, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. And that's what I did. That's what my my wife and my kids did. And then we got baptized. And Tim, after that time, I've just kept reflecting on that. And something has struck me. It struck me, Timothy, that if Paul and Silas were never arrested for preaching Jesus, I would have never heard about Jesus. So that sticks with me, Timothy, because whenever God now permits suffering in my life, I always ask myself, how might God use this to reach someone else the same way God used someone else's suffering to reach me? Paul writes to Timothy here, and it's like he tells Timothy, hey, Jesus has more Philippian jailers out there to save. I endure for the sake of the elect. People say things like the doctrine of election stifles evangelism. That's not how I worked for Paul. The doctrine of election fueled Paul's evangelism. So what one pastor writes, for Paul, the certainty that there are elect does not make Paul stop preaching or stop suffering. It makes him confident that his preaching and his suffering aren't in vain. Christian, do you believe that God has more people out there to save? Shouldn't that fuel you, your endurance? And maybe you're not a Christian. Could you be like that Philippian prison guard? Could it be that you came here today out of just a sense of obligation, like it's Easter, I guess I, I, guess I better go to church? Could it be that you're here today because you're at the end of your rope? My friend, what if God has allowed whatever's going on in your life in order to get your attention, in order to bring you to an end of yourself and bring you to Jesus and find your all in him? Jesus is worth everything. He's worth following even through the hard stuff. Why? Reason number three. He's worth it because of what he will do. Look at verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
We looked at another one of these trustworthy statements on Friday evening. These likely would have been well-established, often repeated statements. And if you pay attention here, this one has four different lines. All of them are more or less related to the future. They all have the word will in them uh, for the most part. They're all if-then statements. And if you notice, these are, break, these are broken up into two pairs, the first two lines and the second two lines. Now, in order to understand this trustworthy saying, again, it's crucial to remember what Timothy's going through. Think back to the boxing analogy, right? Timothy feels like he's just been punched in the face for following Jesus. His eyes are spinning. The birds are flying. And the question is, what is he going to do next? Is he going to get, get up and keep going? Or is he going to give up and walk away? He's at a crossroads. And Paul offers him a promise and a warning. The promise is eternal life and eternal reign. And the conditions are dying and enduring. Look again at verse 11. Is Paul saying you must physically die for Jesus in order to live with him forever? No, I don't think he's saying that. Look closely at verse 11. He says, if we have died with him. It's interesting. This is something that's already happened. And it's connected to Jesus. You compare this to other verses in scripture. It tells us that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just Jesus dying. It was also each person who trusts in Jesus. Paul explains in Galatians 2.20, maybe you've heard it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This tells you something, friend, and I want you to understand this. The message of Christianity isn't that Jesus helps you live the best version of yourself. That's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that Jesus gives you a new self. The message of Christianity isn't be true to yourself and follow your heart. The message of Christianity is to deny yourself and follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. This decision leads to a new direction in life, a direction that is to live no longer for yourself, but for the son of God who loves you and who gave himself for you. And this direction of life is a direction that endures. It keeps going. Those who have truly died to themselves and trusted in Jesus will endure to live for him. So just bottom line it for you, my friend, is this the direction of your life? It will be hard but it will be worth it. And it will be worth it for so many reasons, not least of which is that it will be worth it for what Jesus will do for you and his people, that you will get to live with him and you will get to reign with him. I've heard it explained like this. I'm pretty sure I've shared it before, but you get to hear it again. Uh, So think of two different employees. It's their first day on the job and it's their orientation day at work. So they get to learn about how they do their job. They get to learn about what they're doing uh, every day, day in and day out, all their different responsibilities. And as they go throughout the day, they get to see that this is like a hard job. This is backbreaking labor. But both of these guys are in a pinch, and so they sign up. They take the job. The first employee, he gets a meager salary. He barely squeaks by. I mean, he's living paycheck to paycheck. And with each passing week, he just continues to wonder, is this job worth it? Because it's taking a toll on me. It's taking a toll on my body. And with each passing week, he actually starts to resent his job. He hates going to work. 
But then the second guy, he makes the same amount of money, the same meager salary. He also squeaks by. He has to do the same backbreaking labor. But the second guy didn't skip out on the last part of orientation day. At the last part of orientation day, the boss tells all the new people that if you make it to the end of the year, you get a million dollar bonus. (laughs) Do you think the second guy will have a better attitude at work than the first guy? Do you think the second guy will have a better chance enduring the hard labor than the first guy? Every day, instead of thinking about the hard work and quitting, the second guy thinks about the end of the year and he endures. My friend, just for a minute, don't think about work, think about your life. Is your life essentially paycheck to paycheck? Like you just, hey, there are good gifts in life, but I mean, all your life amounts to is just you wait for the weekend. You wait for the next like dopamine hit. You wait for the next vacation. You wait uh, and, and you do all these things. You just barely get enough to squeak by. My friend, doesn't living like that take a toll on you? What difference would it make if you had a bright, certain, and hope-filled future right now? Couldn't it make you endure all the hard stuff you face right now? Hear this promise. If you have died with Jesus, you will also live with him. Timothy's eyes are swirling. His birds are flying around his head. What will he do after he gets punched in the mouth? Well, Paul offers him not just a promise. He offers him a warning. Look at the second half of verse 12. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. Right? The opposite of endurance is quitting. The opposite of staying loyal to Jesus is disowning Jesus. Paul's warning here echoes Jesus's warning in Matthew 10, verse 33. Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Then look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. Paul closes the trustworthy statement. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he can't deny himself. Now, some take this as a surprising, comforting note to end on. They take this as being faithful is like one notch below fully and finally abandoning Jesus. They take verse 13 as describing what amounts to a temporary lapse, not a permanent denial. Now, yes, we should say it's true. God does restore his people who still sin against him. He has to do that for Paul. He has to do that for Peter. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. All that is true. I just don't think that's the point Paul's making here. Look again at this trustworthy statement. Let me remind you, it's deliberately set up in pairs, two and two. So the ones who have died with Jesus are the same ones who endure to follow Jesus. And the ones who deny Jesus are the same ones who are faithless. So the point Paul's making here is not so much if you mess up, it's going to be okay, as true as that is. He's just not talking about messing up. He's talking about denying Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, if you deny Jesus, if you refuse to trust in him, he's going to keep his word. He's not going to make an exception for you. You see, even Jesus knows, Matthew 7, that there's going to be a lot of people who stand before him and they think he's going to make an exception for them. Romans 3, 19 and 20 is clear that that no one stands before God as innocent. That we will stand before God as guilty. 
But the thing is, most people in the room, you and I included, think that God can make an exception for us. Maybe we'll quote to God, old blue eyes, Frank Sinatra. Maybe we'll say, God, regrets? Yeah, I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do. I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course and each careful step along the byway and more, much more than this. God, I did it my way. Denying Jesus comes in many shapes and sizes. It's not just outright opposition. It boils down to this. To deny Jesus is to live your way instead of his. To to deny Jesus is to cling to yourself instead of cling to him. Paul's warning is this. My friend, if you want nothing to do with Jesus, then when you stand before him, he'll want nothing to do with you. Why give this warning to Timothy? Is Timothy at risk of losing the promise of eternal life? No, I don't think so. God has promised that those he has saved, he will keep. God intends to use warnings like these to keep Christians enduring. Here's how it works. True Christians will always listen to warnings like these. Right, Timothy's been knocked out from a body blow. So the promise that Paul gives him is like a balm to his wound. And the warning Paul gives him is like a smelling salt to wake him up and keep him alert. 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13. Friends, this makes a case to you that Jesus is worth it. He's worth more than just your occasional attention. He's worth more than just your casual respect. He's worth more than just your optional interest. Jesus is worth following through anything because life with him is everything and life without him is nothing. We're gonna pray. Leading up to that, I want us just to reflect on this passage. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head? So we reflect and we pray. My friend, maybe you're here today and you have trusted and followed Jesus, but you're like those in the Ephesian church, that you participate in activity about Jesus, but you don't actually partake of Jesus, that you've lost your first love. My friend, would you remember Jesus again? Would you go to him now in prayer, telling him, asking his help to trust him and follow him afresh? Remember his promise that whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. My friend, maybe it feels like life has punched you in the face. And you wonder if God is out there, does he have a handle on all of this? Does he care? Can I trust him? Friend, I beg you to remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. The good news is that he still saves. Friend, would you take your life out of your own hands and would you put it in his? His are the hands that were pierced for you. Talk to someone today about dying to yourself and living to Jesus. This is your next step. That those who believe in Jesus don't keep it secret. Talk to someone about what it means to show your trust in him through baptism. Baptism. 
what it means to follow him along his people. Maybe you're on the direction of following Jesus, but it's been really hard. Ask the Lord to show you again today that it is worth it. It is worth it for who he is. It's worth it for what he's done. It's worth it for what he's still doing. It's worth it for what he will do. Dear Lord, we are beggars. Please help us. Please pull us close to yourself and help us to remember we are forgetful. Lord, each and every day, would you bring us to an end to ourselves? Would we say not the labors of our hands can fulfill our, your law's demands? These for sin could not atone. You must save and you alone. We come to an end of ourselves and say only Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.